Welcome to Episode 7 of Super Entertainment Presents the Television Crossover Universe on the Grand Geek Knowledge Network. Coming to you from Castle Wolfenstein, hosted by the TVCU crew. Joining me via Skype is James Boyachuk, CEO of 18th Wall Productions, and I am Robert E. Ronsky Jr., author of the Horror Crossover Universe. Uh, Encyclopedia, holy moly, um, the snow. Uh, anyways, we are the TVCU crew, minus one. Ivan is off fighting the cold miser and so could not be with us this evening. Uh, the Television Crossover Universe is a shared fictional reality in which television series, films, comics, novels, video games, and more are demonstrated to coexist through crossover connections. More on the TVCU concept can be found at TelgenCrossoverUniverse.com, in our Telgen Crossover Universe Facebook forum, and in a series of Telgen Crossover Universe books, and now in this podcast. This podcast goes beyond the TVCU by bringing in guests whose work relates to crossovers and experience shared realities all right james glad you made it i braved the snow you braved technical difficulties and yet we're still here to <laughs> torment our listeners yeah unfortunately we don't have uh ivan with us tonight um he could not brave the cold or the technical difficulties unfortunately uh but we will we will manage without him so uh james how are you i'm doing pretty well all right. Uh, shameless plugs. Got any? Uh, let's see. Anything coming out around the time of this podcast? Nope. Not at the moment. Right now, just remember you can still grab from the Dragon Lords Library Volume 1 and 2 for the low, low price of three ninety nine. They're chock full of amazing dragon stories, 10 in each volume. So hours and hours of winter reading as you try and survive the snow in. Because let's be honest, this snow is still going to be here by the time you hear this episode. That's right. That's right. Um, and uh, I would like to plug something for you, actually. Um, oh? Yeah. 18thwall.com um, has an amazing blog with some amazing bloggers on it. Um, you know, not just – and it doesn't just plug 18th Wall Works, but it talks about writing in general and storytelling. And uh, it's something that I enjoy reading every week. Um, so I'm going to plug that on your behalf because, um, as well as Nicole Petit and Mary Helen Norris, um, who also contribute to that blog, um, something I really enjoy. <laughs> I'm glad someone does. Yeah. <laughs> I'm the reader. <laughs> so and I hope that we, all of our subliminal messages have convinced you to buy all of our books. That's right. That's right. I, I mean... You guys put out some amazing stuff anyways. Um, uh, so anyways, um, as for my own shameless plugging, I don't have anything new to, to plug. Uh, the Horror Crossover Encyclopedia, if I can say it correctly this time, um, is of course still out. And uh, Television Crossover Universe, Worlds of Mythology 1. Um, I am working on new books. Um, I'm still plugging away at the Cartoon Crossover Encyclopedia and Television Crossover Universe Worlds of Mythology Volume 2, which has taken me a lot longer to write than I thought. Hopefully that means it's because I'm putting a lot of thought and detail into it and not because I'm procrastinating. Um, meanwhile, I did also um, update the website uh, with some new blog posts. Um, there's um, The Fiend Without a Face, uh, Jurassic Park, and Hannah Montana and the Disney Universe. Um, have all been covered recently on the website. Um, Jurassic Park seems to be a really popular post so far. 
and Hannah Montana not so much. <laughs> but that, but that's okay. Uh, <laughs> even though I put three days of work into the Hannah Montana post and one hour of work into the Jurassic Park post, but go figure. <laughs> Somehow I'm not surprised that dinosaurs beat the Disney sitcom universe. Yeah, you know, I, it, sometimes it's just about the subject and not about the content, I guess. Um, actually, it, I mean, the Jurassic Park one's pretty good, too. Uh, it has a lot of good information, a lot of connections to Godzilla, King Kong, and and other stuff. And, of course, the Dictionary of Impossible Places with right? all 700 entries, right, 700 right. crossovers. Which I did not mention all of the crossovers because... 700 crossovers is a lot. I don't think the readers would be happy with that many paragraphs. Right. So uh, we're going to go to break. And, um, and uh, William Mikeley is our guest tonight. And uh, he's been patiently waiting through all our technical difficulties. Um, so when we come back, uh, we will have uh, our guest with us. We'll be right back. We are back. James, would you like to introduce our guest? I'd love to. Today, it's my pleasure to introduce you to the man famous Monsters of Filmland, one of the premier storytellers of our time. He's a masterful horror, fantasy, and suspense writer, and has written some of the finest Karnacki pastiches yet written, to say nothing of his Sherlock Holmes, Professor Challenger stories, and his own original fiction. Give a warm podcast welcome to William Meikle, author and Scottish national treasure. Now, finally for my birthday, after the person had refused to give it to me early for months, I got to read Karnacki, The Watcher at the Gate, which is William's second Karnacki collection. And, of course, it's fantastic. But let's start off, since this is, of course, the crossover podcast, with talking about... See, there's a couple good choices. Let's start off with the more obscure one. How did you discover... That's a good way to put this. How did you discover William Hope Hodgson's other series character, Captain Galt, and then find it was such a good idea to bring him into Karnacki's world? Because Uh, there are three separate stories in this book, just for a bit of shameless plugging, that bring them together. Yep. It was, uh, I I think I read them first in the Subterranean Press hardcover. Uh, They brought them all, all the, the Captain Galt stories together a couple of years back. And I read them in that. I'd read Hodgson many years ago, uh, back in the 70s. I read House in the Borderland and the Karnacki books when I was a teenager. Uh, uh, yes, I was a teenager in the 70s, I am. <laughs> <laughs> so to answer your question, I think it was, a, it was the subterranean press, hardcover editions where I got the, the gold books. And uh, Sam Gafford, at, uh, who runs the William Hope Hodgson blog, was putting together a collection of uh, Karnaki stories, and he asked me if I wanted to write a Captain Galt one as well. So I thought, well, why not combine the two? And that's where the first of the three came from. Gotcha. And then, I guess, could you give us a bit of the origin and inspiration for Bedlam in Yellow, which combines Karnaki and The King in Yellow? Yeah, and, and that one was written on request, actually, for uh, an anthology, uh, which was a King in Yellow pastiche anthology from a company called Cielano Press, who are uh, a British and Japanese uh, co-production. And they asked me to write a, 
a King in Yellow story. And again, I was in, in Karnaki mood at the time, so I thought the Bedlam in Yellow one would be a good a good place to go. Uh, that story's done really well for me, actually, because it turned up in a couple of different places and it got, an, got a mention in the year's best fiction, year's best horror fiction anthology last year. So That's well-deserved. It's proved to be a good one for me. And it won, uh, I don't know if you know of Bob Freeman, but he runs an, an occult detective award online and Bedlam in Yellow won the best short story last year in that award as well. So it's been a good story for me, that one. Oh, wow. I had no idea that existed. I'm not no. sure how I've lived my life without knowing about the <laughs> Occult Detective Award. <laughs> well, Bob's another Bob's another uh, occult detective writer, and uh, it's, a, it's it's his fan site really. But uh, he's he read, he does a lot of reading in the occult detective genre, so this is one for you to look up. If you just search for occult detective on Google, you'll find Bob. Okay, noted. I must do that after the episode. Now mm-hmm. that we've discuss the main crossovers from the book. My favorite story in the set was Mr. Churchill's Dilemma, which was a really fun historical mingling, I guess we can call it. Yeah. Yeah, I enjoyed that one. Well, I enjoyed putting Churchill in a story, actually, because he's he's long been a a character I've wanted to try and fit in somewhere, and I thought that was just a perfect place for him. I'm afraid I made him a bit bit of a bastard in it, but uh, I think that's probably more likely what he was like in real life anyway. (laughs) Yeah, I can see him taking that step to keep England alive. Yes, I think so too. And uh, I'll just correct you on that one as well. It's Britain, not England. Being a Scot, I always mm. have to... This is true. <laughs> I stand corrected. <laughs> I know you had some questions, Rob. Um, well, I just wanted to uh, ask you a little bit. Um, well, he's already asked you, you about Karnaki. Uh, but what, what drew you to... Um, Connecting uh, Lovecraft to Karnaki. Uh, I, I think it's just the way my brain works. I've, I've written an awful lot of Lovecraftian fiction over the years mm-hmm. in, in other places and other anthologies and collections. And uh, basically, it's just the way Karnaki, having Karnaki investigate things beyond just ghosts, sort of led me into the, the Lovecraftian side. A lot of my own novels, my own fiction is Lovecraftian in, in, in style as well. So it's all just crossing over between one thing and another, which is apt for this for this uh, podcast as well. So I, I, my brain makes connections. I think this is the answer. Nice, nice. <laughs> uh, I mean, I mean, I mean, to me, I mean, I'm a crossover fan, and and I, and so those connection things, I I completely get that. Um, and that's the type of writers I love to read is those writers who just their brain just works that way. Yeah. Um, so I, I was noticing that um, your your story, The Hole, is uh, near the top of the charts on Amazon for horror, um, yeah. and it's got some really great reviews. Uh, how did you come about this idea for the story? That was from a news. It came from a news story about a, a big hole, basically. Uh, it was about a, a, big, a story about a sinkhole. I think it was in Louisiana uh, a couple of years back, and uh, it just sparked an idea in my head. Uh, the books also. Again, it's a crossover potential in the book. It's got very much some old Doctor Who type things in it about uh, mutations coming about from people dumping radiated material and uh, garbage in holes, and uh, what comes out what comes out of the ground as a result of it. So again, it's a bit of a crossover in that sense. It's a, it's, it's a pulp novel, but it's also uh, it's sparked a lot of, uh, as you say, good reviews. And a lot of people seem to like it, and it's sold a lot of copies for me, so I'm very happy with it. Now, 
I'm I'm going to read you this description that I that that I I came across for one of the other stories. Um, some glowing fog, a mad scientist, lots of snow, a shipwreck, some tentacle things, a dead whale, rum, cigarettes, some boats of various sizes, a bar or two, some stiff upper lips, a shed, and a multitude of universes, among other things. Yeah, that's that's a perfect example of crossover in my brain because that's got things from Quatermass, it's got things from John Wyndham, it's got things from Doctor Who, and it's got uh, things from where I live now in Newfoundland, lots of snow and fog and uh, bad weather. So that's everything came together in one story in that one, and as you say, that was my own description of it. And... uh, I like that one a lot. It's, uh, it's got timey-wimey stuff, as like in Doctor Who. It's got uh, British scientists doing silly things in the 50s, like in Quatermass. And it's got uh, adventures in snow, like what happens now in Newfoundland, and it all happens together. I think I did a good job with that one as well. It's getting good reviews, and it's still going strong. That was last year's publication. Great. So... um other than Lovecraft, what are some of the other influences you have? Oh, Hodgins, of course. Hodgson and Lovecraft are the big ones. John Wyndham was the other one. Probably the, the things like the Day of the Triffids and the Kraken Wakes. Uh, they were big. They've been big influences in the past on me. Uh, the other thing is, is the stuff I was reading when I was growing up was all uh, British science fiction. Arthur C. Clarke, John Wyndham, and then moved on to Asimov after that. And then after that, I moved into Lovecraft, and from that, I got into the more horror-type things. This all happened sort of 68 through to about 71. At the same time, I was watching stuff like uh, Doctor Who and the Time Tunnel and all the early Star Treks, and all of that just mixes up in your head together. And now, 40-odd years later, it's all coming out in my writing. Nice. Uh, James, back to you. Um... Excuse me while I try and figure out where I put my notes. Okay. <laughs> well, uh, you have to. You, you really have to seem <laughs> to have an affection for all of these Victorian characters that a lot of people have forgotten, especially Karnacki, but also Challenger, Sherlock Holmes, etc. Yeah. Though we can't really okay. call Holmes forgotten. Yeah, but no, Holmes is definitely not forgotten. But uh, Challenger's Challenger has been a bit forgotten over the years, which is a shame because he's a great character. Uh, again, that goes back to early reading. I, I grew up on Sherlock Holmes. Uh, Conan Doyle was another great Scotsman, of course. Uh, so I grew up reading him and Robert Louis Stevenson when I was in my early teens. So things like uh, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde and Sherlock Holmes stories, the Challenger stories, and also the Bram Stoker stuff, Dracula and stuff. I read all of them, and all that Victorian era stuff is something that's close to my heart. So I like watching films set in that era as well. And... Uh, another great crossover book, actually, I don't know if any of you have read it, is Mark Frost's Lists of, The List of Seven. Mark Frost is the guy who wrote Twin Peaks with David Lynch. Mm-hmm. And he, yeah, he wrote, I've read them. They're really fantastic. Uh, they're, they're, they're brilliant books. The List of Seven in particular was a big influence on me in my own, my own Sherlock books. I've still got some more home stories to write as well because I've got... I've got collections out so far. I've got a novel coming next year, and I've been asked to write some more short stories as well. So I don't think I'm going to be leaving Holmes behind anytime soon. No, he tends to make himself so that you can never stop writing about him. Right. 
Um, do you want to shamelessly pitch any of those to try and get some advanced reader excitement for those upcoming Holmes novels and stories? Uh, well, there's a collection out just now called The London Terrors, which is three novellas. And again, they're, they've got a lot of crossover in them. The first one's uh, Holmes meets Maigo from uh, Lovecraft stories. Mm. The second one, Holmes meets a mummy. Uh, not an Egyptian one, but a, a Persian one. And the third one, Holmes meets zombies. So there's uh, <laughs> my three Holmes meets the supernatural stories. Uh, which gets me a lot of grief from Holmes purists, but I don't care, really. Yeah, I, I've noticed that for somebody who doesn't believe in the supernatural, there are a lot of stories in which he deals with the supernatural. Yes. Um, but I love them. So. People do love them, yeah, but some of the purists get very upset with me. It's mm. <laughs> all right. Keep writing it for me. <laughs> I will do. All right. Um... Are there any any other new projects you want to plug while you're here? Uh, the, the 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 newest stuff is the Karnaki, the Watcher at the Gates. That's my most recent mm-hmm. publication. But next year I've got a couple more uh, crossover e-books. There's one coming up called Fungoid, which is a killer fungus takes over the world novel, which is, was a lot of fun. And that's that's more Hodgson again. Hodgson had a thing for fungus. Uh, and some of, a lot of these short stories have got a lot of lot of mushrooms and uh, that's true and uh, fungi taking over the world. So I thought I'd write a novel as well for that. Uh, again, yeah, that could be fun. Shades of Hodgson yeah, yeah. and also Triffids. Yeah, yeah, that's right. It's a mixture of both again, but uh, and it's got fungi taking over the world, which uh, was always a lot of fun. And but I've got another novel next year called Songs of Dreaming Gods, which is a Lovecraftian, more Lovecraftian side one. Uh, I've got. I'm building my own mythos a bit about strange houses, uh, not quite haunted, but sort of gateways to other dimensions. Mm-hmm. And this novel sort of is investigating that mythos in a bit more depth. So it's a mixture of bits of Lovecraft and bits of my own mythology, uh, and that's something that's going to be building over the next couple of years as well. So I've got more ideas for more novels there. That sounds really exciting. Uh, yeah. yeah, I love the creepy house. <laughs> you know. yeah, me too haunted house stuff's a, always a big favourite with me always has been my whole career so far yeah um, so how can people find you on social media keep track of your so projects I'm on Facebook under William Meikle if you just look for William Meikle on Facebook you'll get me uh, and I'm on Twitter under Willie Meikle uh, that's the two main places where I, I hang out Facebook and Twitter okay. Facebook more than anything else that's where most of the other writers are and that's where we all sort of hang out and chat to each other Okay. Oh, and by by the way, I, I did I I googled occult detective awards and it came right up. Bob Freeman, the occult detective. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Now we know. Now we know. Uh, so everybody else should check that one out too. Yeah, um, Bob, uh, an encyclopedic knowledge of occult detective fiction. He's, been, he's a good man to talk to. All right. Before we wrap up the interview, James, do you have anything else for him or? Yeah, let's just throw out more of a bringer question. Absolutely. What is the last book you've read that you recommend and the last movie you've watched that you recommend to our audience? Right. The last book I read that I really enjoyed was uh, Tim Powers' Hide Me Among the Graves, which is another Victorian one, and it's Tim Powers and vampires. And uh, if you know anything about fantasy fiction, Tim Powers is one of the big names, and he's a great writer. Uh, Indeed. I thoroughly recommend all of his books. I've got his new one coming next week. I'm looking forward to that immensely as well. 
he's got a new one out just yesterday, I think, which I got in order. As for films, uh, last one I watched, actually, last thing I watched was the BBC Sherlock Christmas special. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, what was it called? The Something Bride? The Abominable Bride. The Abominable Bride, yeah. Yep. And I re- thoroughly enjoyed that as well, which had the, the, the modern day characters going back to Victorian times and then going backwards and forwards between that and present day. Uh, very well done, and I enjoyed that immensely. So if you can catch that, I'd recommend it. Excellent, excellent. Well, William, thank you for joining us. Yes, thank you so much. Thank you for having me. It was a pleasure, and anytime you want to plug any new projects, we'd love to have you back on. Um, certainly, keep me in mind. Yeah. Uh, um, I'm following, following your Facebook group now as well, so I'll be able to uh, <laughs> get in touch with you through there. Awesome, awesome. So um, thank you again for, for joining us. Um, yeah. We're going to go to a commercial, and then we will be right back. Okay, and we are back. Um, the different theme music threw me off too. <laughs> I'm just thrown off by everything tonight. I'm also suffering from a cold, technical difficulties, the weather. I'm just completely frazzled. And I wanted to talk about Hannah Montana next, but James said that was too horrifying to talk about. Um, so James has something else he'd like to rant. Yes, rant about. So, talking about Lovecraft's mythos with Melky reminded me of this. The worst TV show ever made, and the crossovers in it. Now, last summer, I was involved briefly with a live-action web series. Eventually, I left the project for reasons that aren't relevant. But while I was there, one of the things I did was watch other internet TV shows and especially created TV shows that were then aired on actual television to see what competition was in the market and what was the expected level of quality. Now, before I go any further, this show's on YouTube. I'm sorry, not YouTube. This show is on Netflix. This is considered Netflix-level Netflix television. And this show is Flesh for the Beast to Seiko's Curse. Now, there are lots of bad television shows out there. There are TV shows out there with scripts so bad you just want to throw your TV at the wall. There's badly researched shows. There's badly acted shows. But I don't think I've ever watched anything so inept as this. Like, here's the emblematic example of the show. One of the episodes had to deal with southern vampire teenagers that are just killing everyone who comes into their graveyard. Now, there's something you need to do if you're making a show about vampires. And that is you have to film at night, right? Right. Especially if you're doing anything even vaguely classical vampires. Well, no. They decided that was too much effort. So they filmed in broad daylight on the brightest day they could find. (laughs) And then they tinted the film very slightly blue. And that's supposed to be midnight. Seriously? Seriously. So, so, so this is from the same people who bring us Daredevil and Orange is the New Black and all those quality programming? Yeah, I don't know if they funded it, but they're the one and only internet provider of this show. 
Yeah. I, it, so I'm on Netflix right now. Show, I see it exists, <laughs> and I'm probably going to watch it tonight. <laughs> so the central premise of the show is you have these two ghost hunting nerds, uh-huh. and then somehow, for reasons that aren't clear, they're joined by a demon possessed Japanese woman, and I guess they're occult detectives. If you want to go for a really, really loose definition, they're occult detectives. And they solve the weirdest case ever. Like a woman who wants to marry a corpse. Which I can only imagine was supposed to be a zombie episode, but their budget was too low, so they just don't do anything with it. Right. Southern teenage vampires in a daylight graveyard. Um... Some things that, even though we're R-rated, I probably can't say on our show. <laughs> but the series finale goes above and beyond. Because instead of just doing these bizarre folklore characters, they go all out. They know it's the end. They know they're not getting any more episodes, so right. they go full Lovecraft. The white girl female lead is grabbed by tentacles and pulled into Riley. They have to do something. They have to get her back. So then they don't know how to do anything and they don't know what to do. They're lost. They're completely lost. They spend forever on the main cast being lost before they're Mm -hmm. approached by Freemasons. And the Freemasons have a certain book. It's not named at first, even though Uh it has the elder sign on it. But then in the end, yeah, they admit it's the Necronomicon and it has what they need to bring the lead back from Riley. And then they find they need certain music to make this work. And with no explanation whatsoever, they get Eric Zahn in to play this music. This is set in the present. He should be dead. Right. Long since dead. Of course. They don't explain this. And then after he plays the music, everyone falls asleep and he walks away. Yeah. So there's seven episodes. I'm on Netflix right now looking at this. Seven episodes. It's described as three psychic paranormal investigators tackle an onslaught of supernatural horrors and occult mysteries from zombies and cults to sexy vampires. (laughs) Sexy is an overstatement. (laughs) But okay. So in the end, all of this work fails. She's still trapped in Riley. The demon-possessed Japanese woman finds out she's not actually demon-possessed. Her father was just a demon, and then she goes somewhere? And then the male lead is killed by a guy in Victorian clothes. For no explanation. He just leaves the main headquarters to go in the hallway, and then he's stabbed to death. The end! Wow. It's astounding. So, so other th- other than the obvious and um, anachronistic um, Lovecraft um, crossovers, is there anything else? Uh, I see there's some Jersey Devil stuff here, some demon stuff. It's apparently a spinoff of a movie with the same name, even though none of the characters and none of the plot and none of the anything has anything in common. But it's a spinoff of a found footage movie about a guy finding ghost succubi? Yeah. Fish things in New Orleans, even though this has nothing to do with New Orleans either. 
kind of like Friday the 13th, the series. Like, <laughs> had nothing to do with Friday the 13th. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's just this astounding mess of a show. It's the worst thing I've ever watched. It's from uh, 2013, according to this. And somehow, uh, I guess Netflix figured they could sell it. You know, the, this type of show, though, is like the perfect thing for Netflix. You know, it, it's one of those things like you're in the middle of the night. <laughs> you're bored. <laughs> <laughs> you probably binge watch the whole thing. Because after the first episode, you'd be like, this is really bad. Well, I just might as well watch another one because it's 3 a.m. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and then it's to the point where it's not so bad you turn it off. It's so bad you think it can't get any worse. It's entertaining. It's Plan 9 from Outer Space. Yeah, the cast actually looks familiar. I mean, the, their names aren't that familiar, but I've seen them in other stuff. Yeah, I think they've all had much better careers outside of this they're probably wishing this never made it <laughs> I, I bet this has probably never been anywhere else until netflix like found it and said sure why not <laughs> yeah and i'm pretty sure that no one else has ever actually talked about it on the internet until now yeah so now we're plugging a really bad show <laughs> But, you know, that's what the television crossover universe is all about is, uh, you know, it's not about the quality. It's about it's the cross. finding the worst things and making them canon and making you have to remember them forever. That's right. <laughs> so, Flesh for the Beast, Sukiko's Curse <laughs> is the show. It's on Netflix. It's got two stars out of five. <laughs> <laughs> Which the is only the- thing with the worst rating that I have ever seen on Netflix is the new Peabody and Sherman show. So, you know what? That's an advertising campaign. Better than the new Peabody and Sherman. <laughs> I mean, the the plots of these, I don't know. It just, it just looks so bad. Uh, episode two, a local sheriff posts a reward for the capture of two vampire girls we're sucking the local boys dry. <laughs> oh, oh dear lord, that reminded me. <laughs> These are not just, they're not actually vampires. I forgot to say this. Mm. They want to be vampires because they're actually with an elderly vampire woman. And they're collecting the blood, and then they vomit it up into her tub like she is Elizabeth Batheroy. Oh. But she's a vampire. She's a vampire. These other girls are pretending to be vampires and drinking people's blood, but it's really plastic vampire teeth. Okay. <laughs> but but she never thought to, like, turn them or... No, that was going to be a reward for them getting mm. her enough blood, even like, though that would make everything significantly easier. So so she's like a um, really lame vampire. <laughs> So she's a real vampire, though, but she's, like, too powerless to... to. <laughs> no, she has the power. She just thinks this is the best possible plan. She's just the laziest vampire. <laughs> yes. <laughs> like, oh, I can't even bother. <laughs> oh, my goodness. I, I'm definitely going to binge watch this whole thing tonight. <laughs> I, I I am compelled. 
I am compelled now to to watch this. If you need something better, that's kind of in our vein, even though it doesn't have any crossovers. Uh-huh. Check out the Canadian series, also on Netflix, Darknet. It's basically a take on the you know all of those horror stories about oh no, there's a hidden internet, <laughs> but it's pretty good. It sometimes goes way too far into the terrible pits of found footage and modern horror gore. Yeah. But the first episode's pretty solid, pretty amazing. And then the really fun thing is how everything interconnects. Every character from every segment runs through the whole season in ways you would never expect. So it's kind of like an anthology series, but where they're interconnected. Yes. Is that correct? I love those type of shows. Like uh, Portlandia, like all their sketches are like interconnected. Yeah. Or, or like horror cross. Uh, horror. See, I can't talk tonight. Uh, American Horror Story. Like every season is actually connected to the to the greater universe, uh, which is actually in the horror universe, um, which is awesome. Um, American Horror Story um, does make it in, and I'm very happy about that. Um, morally cigarettes among among other things, but it also has a few other connections. Um, speaking of bad stuff, um, I, uh, I don't have, um, Wi-Fi at home right now or cable, so I'm watching my old DVD collections, and so I watched Freddy vs. Jason again, uh, including the commentaries and all the behind-the-scenes stuff, and, uh, uh, it's an okay movie. (laughs) It's a great crossover, um from a crossover point of view because it it does honor both series completely um and make it a sequel to both um but um uh you know but as far as you know slasher films go it's so so um but when i was watching it i noticed there was um a connection um ivan has been um campaigning for years that the friday the 13th uh reboot is actually a sequel not a reboot and uh, the 2013 reboot yeah just so it's clear for people in yeah, the future yeah. when there's more reboots yeah the 2013 reboot um and uh and as far as i know from watch w- watching it and i've watched that several times too there's nothing that really contradicts it from being a sequel um really um it's a completely new story the the segment at the beginning, which is a flashback, is really a flashback to the first movie. Um, so it's it, it, there's nothing that contradicts it. Um, so in in Freddy versus Jason, when the, when they're finally at Camp Crystal Lake, um, spoilers at the at the end of the movie, there's Freddy fights Jason. In case <laughs> in case that ruins the movie for you, uh, uh, they there there's construction going on next to the old camp. Um, for luxury cabins that are being built. So the next Friday the 13th movie is the 2013 reboot where they're at these luxury cabins, uh, which it seems logical were the same cabins being built in the previous movie that um, does. 10 years earlier, um, especially since the, the the guy who's bringing his friends to the cabin is in college about you know, 19, 20 years old. Uh, well, actually, probably twenty-one. I think they bought they bought liquor at the store. Um, so he grew up 
you know, with his family at that cabin. So it would make sense that he was, you know, that they would have bought that around like 2005 and then, you know, eight years later, you know, so it like really logically made sense that this is a sequel. And of course the character, Trevor, um, the, the token a-hole of the, of the mo- of the of the movie the reboot movie uh, Friday the Thirteenth twenty thirteen um, is played by the same character who played Trevor the token a hole in the Transformers movie <laughs> and and he was a teenager in Transformers and then he was a college student a few years later where, where he gets uh, spoiler killed in uh in uh Friday the Thirteenth. And uh, it shouldn't be too much of a spoiler because everybody dies. If you're the if you're the a hole, you're gonna die. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. So uh, that that was a a um, pretty neat connection. Uh, that is. I've yeah. started listening to a new podcast series recently. What's that? Well, I say new, but it's been out for a few years. New and to you? It's still ongoing. Yes, new to me, which means it's new to everyone because I'm the barometer. Uh-huh. <laughs> but Jake Sampson, Monster Hunter. Right. I wasn't sure what I was in for when I started, but wow, this thing is full of crossovers. They are fully taking advantage of the fact that they're not making money and no one can sue them. <laughs> so the first arc is all about Robert E. Howard mm-hmm. and how he learned about all of the stories he wrote because he has a portal to all of these different worlds and he's been watching things happen. So all of his stories are, well, he already connected them all himself, but if any were outliers, he now got them through that. The second arc was this big hole homage to universal horror mummy movies. Mm -hmm. It doesn't connect to them, but near the end, they realized the mummy was removed from all Egyptian records as a lost pharaoh because, like Eten, who tried to get them to worship Amon, he had everyone trying to worship the elder gods, but they all, the people rebelled and killed him. And it's not just an elder gods reference. Jake Sampson, this 1930s monster hunter, quotes Lovecraft's immortal couplet, uh, which does not die, you know. Right, right. And then the third serial, which I just finished listening to, is all about his training, I guess you'd say, and how he became a monster hunter. And sometime around right before World War I, he was traveling through Europe with Van Helsing, learning how to fight monsters and hunt mm. horrible things. And how that went terribly wrong. And he since hates Van Helsing and has completely changed how he hunts monsters because of it. Mm. And upcoming serials, since I've been looking at the cast lists, involve Fu Manchu, Rob. Barsoom and everyone from Barsoom, uh-huh. Nordic gods, Nazi plots to take over the inner earth, which seems like it's going to be tying into Vril. Mm. So they're covering a lot of crossover ground. I recommend it. Nice. What was it called again? Jake Sampson, Monster Hunter. Mm. And just like us for that shameless plugging, it is also available. Nice. Yeah, it sounds like it's worthy for the horror crossover encyclopedia. Volume two, which uh, 
will will someday come out. <laughs> We're compiling the notes for it, so it's going to happen. Uh, there's 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 plenty of new material coming out. Uh, all the time and things we're, we're finding. So, um, that will happen. Um, speaking of which cabin, in the woods, which had like a thousand crossovers. Um, I missed one. Um, what? Uh, we trusted you. And the, the faculty, um, which is in the horror crossover encyclopedia because it connects to, um, the original Puppet Masters and Body Snatchers um, is specifically referenced um, as as the one time that America um, failed um, to do their sacrifice. That um, they they reference the year the movie came out and say that was the one time that they missed having their perfect record, and it's because in that movie nobody dies. They have all the archetypes. The exact archetypes, but nobody died in fa- in uh, the faculty. What movie is this? The faculty. Oh, oh, it was a uh, it was like a like a pod people type of type of thing. All the teachers were being replaced. Okay. By um, um, by aliens, you know. As they do. Yeah, and then eventually the students and the whole town. So and and. In the movie, they talk about how, um, you know, um, and even the alien confirms it, that Body Snatchers and the Puppet Master were based on two events um, uh, involving, involving these aliens that, uh, you know, replace, replace uh, the humans. And, uh, and, that, and this movie, uh, um, thanks to a YouTuber, I, I found this out. Um, when they, when in Cabin in the Woods they talk about um, the one year that they didn't get their sacrifice was the year the faculty came out because nobody died. I'm still disappointed that they, as cool as that is, they should be ashamed of themselves for not making it a Scooby-Doo reference. Yeah. <laughs> I know. That, I mean, the Scooby-Doo are is really the, the, the mold for those archetypes with Scooby being the virgin, of course. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. So there's that. Oh, I also recently rewatched Buckaroo Banzai, um, which should have been in the horror crossover encyclopedia because it is a crossover with war of the worlds, uh, the radio version. Um, it's not because I know you reference it in some other entries. Yeah, I mean, Buckaroo Banzai is mentioned as having like tons of crossovers within the horror crossover encyclopedia, and yet I left out the most obvious one <laughs> that <laughs> it refers to the events of War of the Worlds 1938 as having actually happened. Um, and I was thinking because um, it kind of makes sense because if if the if if the Martians actually came from from planet ten and uh, you know in dimension uh, in the eighth dimension um, that does not conflict League of Extraordinary Gentlemen Volume Two um, where the Martians come from, from Barsoom because if you think about it if um, if um, John Carter astrally visits Barsoom 
then you know that that's no different that he's you know transporting himself through dimensions that's true so plus uh, in that um if you recall in League of Extraordinary Gentlemen volume 2 they specifically treat Wells Martians like they're invaders from somewhere else right so it all lines up really well so i so i i think the e, the ERB universe Edgar Rice Burroughs universe um it is the eighth dimension um and that um you know planet 10 is Barsoom. It, it it seems it seems to really line up really well. That could work. I would say Planet Ten is where those particular aliens came from. But yeah. hey, we have writers who listen to this. We would love to read this story. Get yeah. on that. Yeah. What I really love is when I come up with a theory and then later on, I um, a writer um, coincidentally <laughs> makes a canon <laughs> uh, because you know that makes me feel awesome. <laughs> so if any writers out there <laughs> want to you know connect to that uh going back to that podcast you're talking about um i remember reading a story once where uh robert e howard like had a vision of conan and that's was like um and i think that was actually a true story that robert e howard came up with conan based on a vision he had yeah um, and then that's been used in fiction to support how Robert E. Howard could exist in the same universe as Conan. Um, and that doesn't really contradict the portals thing. Could have been he had the vision first, and then the portals, you know, followed from the vision, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so it, it, I love when things that had nothing to do with each other, like, still <laughs> can work. <laughs> work out together it's the most fun part of this yeah absolutely um yeah so speaking of horror hannah montana no i'm just kidding (laughs) (laughs) seriously folks i spent three days writing hannah montana go read the thing read it validate him yeah. It's got a whole bunch of theoretical stuff about Saved by the Bell and why why it keeps moving. <laughs> Seriously though, they they start at a school in the mid in the Midwest. And then they then they all transfer to Bayside in 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 uh southern southern California including their principal. And then the whole school moves to San Francisco. I I just don't get it. <laughs> it's the most it's the most difficult crossover to reconcile. When it was on the Disney Channel as Good Morning Miss Bliss, it was in the Midwest, and then when it got picked up by NBC, now they're at Bayside High in Los Angeles, and then Bayside High moves to San Francisco for That's So Raven and Dharma and Greg. So, <laughs> well, we know Zach Morris had magical powers. Yeah. It, so maybe he just decided that the Midwest is kind of boring. Yeah, I for want him. To surf. <laughs> for him. <laughs> I would definitely blame it on Zach Morris and his ability to manipulate reality. <laughs> yeah, he might be a time master. Let's yeah. just say he can manipulate the well no, that wouldn't quite explain it, but definitely reality shaping. Yeah. If he can freeze time, you know, and he he's self aware of the fictionality of his reality. 
Well, now that's just screaming out for another person to write us a crossover story. <laughs> yeah. And I, I, I chose when I wrote the Disney Channel one that I was going to uh, leave Saved by the Bell for another blog post for another time. So uh, I will get to that in the future at some point. But right now I really got to finish watching Family Guy. <laughs> I'm only on season three. <laughs> it's taking me a long time. <laughs> wow but the thing is with family guy is it's not like other shows where i can like just look for the reference you know i this it's 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 if i just trusted what like hearsay and stuff um i would miss so much so i i really have to watch every single episode um because they just got cameos left and right um Stuff that even when I did covered it for um, the website, I missed a lot of stuff. So, this, despite Ivan's challenge to put every little cameo in the website, which I tried, I still missed a lot of stuff. So, this this book, the Cartoon Crossover Encyclopedia, is going to be big. It's going to be two books. <laughs> One is going to be the classics, and then the other one's going to be the modern age. So, it's going to be huge. I don't think anyone would have expected that this would be bigger than the horror crossover encyclopedia. Right. The horror crossover encyclopedia is a heavy book, and this is going to be two heavy books. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. It's just because because of shows like Family Guy and The Simpsons and Drawn Together, Harvey Birdman, there, there, there are just so many, like, crossovers per episode and uh you know and trying to be as detailed as possible i gotta write them all down you know uh it wouldn't be fair to the fans otherwise that's true yeah so we are about out of time and uh so i would like to thank everybody for listening to us ramble on about crossovers um and I would like to uh, thank our guest, uh, William Milk- Milkley. Am I saying that, James? James, correct me. What's his Scottish pronunciation? I'm not sure. My memory's been wiped. Oh, he's going to kill us. Um, it is Mikil. Yes. <laughs> Sorry, William. <laughs> William Eco, we would love to have you back on the show. We promise to pronounce your name correctly. <laughs> and uh, uh, thank you to everybody for listening. Um, join us next week when we will have writer Janet L. Hetherington on. Um, before we end, I want to thank our sponsor for this episode, Lucas Garrett of the TVCU crew, and also Slusho. You can't drink just six. And a special thanks to Tiny White and the Deadites for our show's theme music. Thanks to all who listened. Remember to subscribe to and rate our show on iTunes. And as always, everything happens somewhere. Good night. Good night.